0: Log Talk Radio from well, Live in the Balance. It's another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here, delighted to have you with me today, and um, well, today is Parents Panel Day, Um, always one of our favorite programs of the month, Um, and it's the month of February, and it's the first Monday of the month of February, and so that's what we do on the first Monday of every month, Parents Panel. Um, I know that we have one of our parents on the uh, line with us already. Uh, Susie, how are you today?
1: Very well, thank you. And you, Dr. Green?
0: I am doing well, and we are waiting for Kathy to call in, but, um, well, let's start anyways, shall we? Sure. Um I usually start by asking you if you have anything on your mind today. Kathy's now with us. Um, Kathy, how are you today?
2: I'm good. How are you?
0: I am well. We have Susie on the line with us as well.
2: Um,
0: uh, Susie, what's on your mind today? Then we'll ask Kathy the same question, if anything.
1: Um, I suppose I just wanted to share with the audience that... Um, My husband and I just returned from a weekend that we spent um, with our challenging child. He, as many of you know, um, is older. He's 23, and we know that um, chronological age doesn't necessarily equal developmental age. But um, he graduated from college and has now uh moved to a major city and is working uh in a startup company but my point was many times over the weekend um i thought of plan b and how much it has helped our family uh to resolve Chronic problems and teach lagging skills. Uh, we, as I said, we we spent. It, it was just um, time alone with this particular child, and it was delightful. Um, he's taking responsibility and focused, and not going out very much, and working very hard. Um, and I suppose we call that growing up, right? Um, but that having been said there there's always um things that pop up and and we did have a couple of those incidents, but we were able to proactively deal with them and uh work out a mutually satisfying solution, so don't get me wrong this particular child is no angel he's done a lot of really dumb things and um had quite a few lagging skills um in fact the caller last week uh, one of your callers last week had a uh, a son who sounded very similar to ours um I believe that caller's son was about 10 years old, something like that. Um, But, again, I'm just here to say that if you stick with the model and you listen to your child, um, Plan B really does work. And um, it was just a wonderful weekend to spend time with him.
0: How nice it is that you now have the perspective of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this child as well, and um, I know that there were times when he gave Plan D a run for its money.
1: That's exactly there right. Were,
0: yeah, there were things he was doing that we were... Very skeptical and dubious about whether Plan B could actually get the job done.
1: It took several attempts to get the Plan B ball rolling, and we were in an incredibly serious situation, one that almost translated out to uh, residential placement.
0: But didn't. Wow. Um, <laughs>
1: Yeah. No, we. Uh, I uh, the model just always gave me hope and restored my patience and gave me a understanding and perspective that um, these children don't choose to be explosive. You know that this isn't their idea of a good time, and it's just lagging skills and a demand for these skills and unsolved problems that um, is based on the neurosciences that's a kinder, more compassionate way to view these children.
0: Not only that, it's true. Yes. But always nice to have the benefit of hindsight, obviously, Mm -hmm. Um, but wonderful to know that he is being a reasonably responsible guy who is um living in the real world and um doing okay tell me how you said you had a few mm-hmm. episodes over the weekend but i'm just curious to what degree is explosive anger still a problem for him in his life
1: interesting um he still has difficulty dealing with people who he perceives to be uh not as smart as he is he he uh finds that very frustrating and um, I think. You know, he has to talk to himself to uh, remain civil and, um, in some cases, have a working relationship with people. Um, And sometimes he's had uh, somebody else in the company deal with a particular person if he's just really unable to uh, handle it.
0: So I want to read you an email. Kathy, we're going to hear what you're thinking, but this is so um, spot on here. And I'd like to hear how both of you would respond to this. This is somebody who emailed and um, had a question. And it is so um, related, Susie, to what you're saying that I – I'm having, as you can tell, trouble resisting the temptation to read it now. So are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Here's a a question that was uh, sent to me and lies in the balance of, and I get a lot of these and try to answer all of them. I'm not always successful, but this one's going to get answered during our parents' panel today. Here's how it reads. Hello. My question is concerning my daughters, age eight and nine and a half, with ADHD. Up until now... I have essentially chased behind the both of them, making sure their homework is done, put back in their school bag, dirty laundry put in a hamper, teeth brushed, baths done, finding lost library books, ensuring all their sports equipment is in their sports bag and then taken home three times a week, etc., etc. My organizational skills are lacking at best of times, and I feel like I am constantly running in circles. I'm trying to plan B these issues, but often other issues take priority. Their psychologist told us, for now, we need to be their frontal lobe. But my daughters, more and more, think all these tasks and others are all my responsibility. My question is, am I enabling them or creating codependence? Thank you for your thoughts. And Susie, I'm going to let you take the first crack at that one. Is she enabling them or creating codependence? Because I know that your situation, and maybe Kathy's as well, um, you're probably sitting there nodding your head going, yep, I get that. How would you respond to this, Mom?
1: Um, We have a lot of similarities. Um, My organizational skills are not the best, and um, this... Particular challenging child, one of his many problems was uh, one of ADHD. People, well meaning people, but nevertheless offered unsolicited advice and said, I was um, spoiling my child, too permissive, not teaching responsibility, um, and doing way too much for my son Um, and I just felt that at the time I was it was my job to do as much as I could to understand my child and help my child um, so that he could really focus on the truly important problems that we had prioritized and were working on in Plan B. For example, and now you're really going to think I'm crazy, but um, my son was a very particular eater, and I knew... um, that if he got too hungry um things kind of go out the window with him anyhow it didn't work so well for me to make him a sandwich and send it to school it it just uh it was just one of those things and he wanted to have a fresh sandwich so for a ver- years i was able to buy him a fresh sandwich and leave it at school every day. It's it's a very small thing but I knew that it made a huge difference in his life and how he could get through the rest of the school day. So um, I what think it's
0: though now in hindsight Yep. And you have the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. And you have the benefit also of a um outcome that you're kinda okay with. Is she creating codependent
1: or you know, enabling? It, not at all. In fact, it came up over the weekend um some of the things that I did to help and he was so appreciative and um it, it it was just small things that i could do to help it's not it's not spoiling or creating a brat it those are just um you know sort of mean words it's it's understanding and helping your child and in and in some ways repairing a relationship that previously had um had some bad history with us.
0: Kathy, you want to weigh in? Enabling, creating dependent? What do you think? It,
2: well, at times it feels like it. Um it feels like we're enabling in our house. Um but I'm I'm trying to take the long view and and, uh, we're having a bit of a rough time in school right now. And so I'm thinking that if I'm uh, peeling carrots all day and cutting strawberries and apples all day and putting these snacks out for my son rather than him getting them himself, that I'm kind of nourishing him and taking care of him so that he has energy for the things that I really need him to work on, like the doing better in school and and not getting in fights. So I'm just viewing it as sort of just caregiving for the rough times because he's doing some hard work with the therapist and um, and with some people at school. So I think it's okay. Also, I would add, I mean, there were things I thought would never happen. I thought no one would ever carry the groceries in in the house. People do now. People interrupt their games or whatever. They understand it's mom needs help when the groceries are here, not when the game is done. Um, People empty the dishwasher. I still have to ask, but uh, a year ago it would have been, what are you going to pay me for this? So... You know, it's small incremental progress of, you know, in in my son's case, he doesn't really understand what it's like to be part of a group or a family unit that everyone contributes and that mom and dad don't just do everything. Same thing at school. He doesn't want to do a community cleanup. So it's an incremental thing to teach that how to be part of something that you don't always get a reward for other than feeling, you know, like, hey, I helped.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, may I just add one thing, Kathy, if you were done?
2: Yeah, that's I am.
1: Okay. Um, I think, I believe the email mentioned something about uh, that the parents are the frontal lobe for their child. And I just want to um, emphasize that that is a temporary, um, a temporary thing that the that the parents do. I think you say in your book, Doctor Green, in the explosive child that um, once the child acquires the skills that he's been so badly lagging behind in, he fires you, and it's true. They they learn how to do these things for themselves.
0: You know, that's the advantage, and this is a huge advantage of understanding that a child is lacking skills because lagging skills are developmental. I've always said you, you can't really rush development. Development mm-hmm. kind of happens at its own speed. And, yeah, there's some things you can do to try to push things along a little bit, but my, my sense is that development does largely happen at its own speed. And a kid who is lagging developmentally, a lot of the trouble we get into with kids who are lagging developmentally is when we push them so hard that we're pushing something that does largely operate at its own pace, and therefore, pushing it is actually rather counterproductive. Keeping an eye on it, not counterproductive. Having a good sense of what skills your child is lacking and where he is in the acquisition of those skills, um, not pushing. Um, Not counterproductive. Um, Keeping track of unsolved problems and a real clear sense of which ones are our top priorities which ones are solved already. Good to good to know what's in the rear view mirror so we know what we've accomplished and good to be looking at the road in front of us and prioritizing so we know what still lies before us. Very productive. Um, pushing something that isn't going to go much faster for the pushing and in fact potentially could go slower because of the pushing and the upheaval that is caused by the pushing counterproductive um, different kids have different rates of development different kids have different lagging skills and um Susie, i think at the very beginning of your answer you said perhaps the best thing you can do for a kid who's lagging behind in development is understand what's getting in their way
1: and i well, think it's true Actually, I think you're the one who said that, but... um,
0: You're the one who said it today. (laughs) God knows I don't have to be the only one saying it.
1: Um, Yeah, and, and in our particular situation, you know, when you talk about prioritizing the skills, our son, I really felt, could only work on one thing at a time um and that was that was for a very long time it was just one thing and sure i had doubts and um his father was pushing for two or three other um skills to be worked on but as you had said it's a judgment call and i really felt like He could only work on one thing at a time because he was particularly uh, slower to learn the skill.
0: Somehow he got there, and it's like all of us, he's still lacking some. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully the ones he's picked up along the way are helping him compensate for the ones he's lacking. I find that so long as we are collaborative and so long as we are understanding and so long as we're communicating and so long as we preserve the relationship, mm-hmm. um, eventually that's the outcome that occurs most often. So I have to tell you both, Kathy, we do want to hear if you have anything that you wanted to bring up today. And then we have two callers waiting.
1: Okay. Oh, um, we're going
0: to take take today. So, and one I think is somebody who I asked to call back from last week because we didn't have time last week. So we're going to take her first. But Kathy, anything on your mind today that you wanted to make sure that we talked about here on the parents' panel?
2: Well, I was um, just going to make mention of um, there are some something going on in Maine. Um, there are rule changes around um, uh, Maine's rule governing physical physical restraint, and seclusion in in schools. And uh, these rule changes uh, were adopted in July of this year, and a a whole group of different stakeholders were involved, including a friend of mine, um, in developing the new rules. Um, And there's a lot in them that goes to protect students from unnecessary use of seclusion and restraint. And so the law was was passed and, and went into effect, and um, schools are having a hard time with it um, based on probably a lack of training and understanding. And the Disability Rights Center of Maine put out a, a, a short um, sort of a cheat sheet defending uh, uh, the use of the new rules. But what struck me about it was that um, there were a couple of, incident reports on this um, where um, people, teachers were saying, we can't use uh, restraint, and the the law is saying, yes, actually, you could in this case. But I'm thinking that what struck me is that I think people are, are sort of losing their common sense. And in one case, um, I'll just read it, um, on the first day of the school year, for example, a kindergartner refused to leave the per- playground. And I just thought, and that's all the information that we have, but that one sentence made me think, and we're going to need a policy of restraint and seclusion for this child? Um, it 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 just seems like such overkill and such a wrong message. Um, it, to, to even uh, there was another one where a 5-year-old refused to enter the kindergarten classroom and the child was throwing a tantrum in the hallway when allowed to con- continue doing so because the child was not a danger to others or himself and i'm um i'm just sort of wondering i guess what cuz either of those children could have been mine and mine is very sensory defensive so to touch him at at either of those points would have been um, produced worse behavior in him and I just sort of feel like it it, it seems like there's a a loss of common sense and um, I don't know it seems like there must be a better alternative obviously lives in the balance has a lot to offer I think
0: yes I mean, my attitude on restraint and seclusion, no matter where it's used. I'm sorry, what did you say? My attitude on restraint and seclusion, no matter where it's used, whether it's in a school or an inpatient psychiatry unit or a residential facility or a prison or a therapeutic group home, all places where restraint and seclusion procedures are sometimes used, is that it is often used as an act of desperation, often used emergently in response to unsolved problems that haven't been identified yet and aren't being worked on. And often, almost always, the byproduct of plan. Hey and so um it's great, I think it's a very good thing that schools are now um knowing that those procedures are ill advised um, but there's a long but, but you know like the inclusion movement which was a wonderful thing except that we threw kids with special needs at teachers before we prepared the teachers Mm -hmm. to know enough about those kids to actually be able to help them and sort of told them to do it without them really having the training or know-how to pull it off. There's a lot that needs to be done Besides simply saying, don't do that anymore. Don't do restraint and seclusion anymore. It can be done. There are lots of places that have done it that are restraint and seclusion free. My guest on the last Issues in Children's Mental Health radio program, uh, Dr. David Colton, uh, has helped many places move in that direction. And if... If people want to know more about that, they should go to the Listening Library on the Lies in the Balance website. Click on the Issues in Children's Mental Health radio program, and there's not only you can only not only listen to the program because Dr. Colton is quite articulate and quite knowledgeable about how to make it happen, but there's also links to um, another website to some of the instruments that he uses to help organizations figure out if they're ready yet. Um, And so there's a lot going on in this field that could be very helpful to educators in whatever state who are trying to move in that direction. But I think the most important things to know are um, these are usually acts of desperation that occur in the heat of the moment on unsolved problems that haven't yet been identified and almost always in response the byproduct of Plan A. And the reason I emphasize that is because if we do know what the unsolved problems are and we do know which ones we're working on and we have our priorities straight and we're doing it all proactively and we are doing virtually no Plan A, um, well, there's the answer. And that's how a lot of facilities have been helped to move in the restraint and seclusion free direction. How many educators know about those strategies? Not enough. Does change sometimes begin as inclusion did by saying, all right, here's the way things are going to be now. Figure it out. Yes. Is that the best way to go? No, it would be better to prepare people for it ahead of time. Do we sometimes need to achieve change by saying, here's the way it is, now we've got to get there? That's the way it sometimes happens, especially when things are being legislated. But, so am I happy that this is now a major focal point for a lot of schools in a lot of states? Yes. Um, Do a lot of them need a lot of help getting there? Yes. That help.
2: Yeah, that's good perspective on it. Um, Definitely. I I, I just have a hard time reading those things about kindergartners. I mean, it just seems... So have we lost our sense? <laughs> what happened to, you know, the kindly, I don't know, ed tech or teacher who stays behind with the t- the kindergartner that doesn't want to go in and figures out something in the moment without <laughs> restraining them? Yep. And, then, and um, then look at it more later. I mean, yeah, isn't there a – the Plan C sort of more humane response is – Have someone stay with that child.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was at a school mental health conference this week, the last Saturday and Friday, and one of the speakers was talking about um, some rather um, behavioral approaches, largely including reward and punishment, and somebody came up to me during one of the breaks and said, um, I found that very hard to sit through because... The speaker didn't say anything about talking with the kid and trying to solve problems with them together. Nothing. Um yeah, exactly. Shall we take our caller?
1: Sure. Sure. Let's
0: see how much we can get in here in our last fifteen minutes. Um back to area code five four one. I think you are the person who called at the end of the program last week. Let's see yes. if we have enough Hi. time to how are you doing?
3: Good. Thanks. How are you?
0: Good. So bring us back to the beginning, and let's see if we can help you better than we did last time.
3: Okay. Um, um, my daughter, who's eleven, uh, she she was adopted. She has ADHD, sensory processing disorder, dysgraphia, and some um, some some learning delays. When she was a baby, she was severely sick, so she has no um, no nutrition whatsoever going to her brain. Uh, even her doctor said, probably in the school years she might have learning delays. Uh, we have no history about the family her birth family at all. Um, right now she is in the sixth grade um, so all throughout the year she was taking um doing assistant for for math and reading she caught up with some things, but math she still struggles with and reading a little bit um, right now she has she is having a problem with her math teacher uh, First of all, she hates the idea that she is different than the other kids, that she has to go to another class, uh, classroom. She beats on herself. She says, I'm stupid, I'm this, I'm, you know. Uh, but she's, her math teacher is, is almost, I feel like they're almost butting heads, like he is the kid more than she is. One of the things he told her in a, in a parents' meeting we were together, he told her that if I was grading If I was grading you, I would have given you an F, because she was saying she does okay and she focuses. Her problem is she'll do okay, um, and then two weeks later when they get back to it, she doesn't retain the information if they don't keep working on it. So he's telling her, you don't pay attention, you don't care, you don't um, – so so that's one of the main things. My biggest thing for me is I have talked to him, I sent him articles, I sent him your website, and – she always says thank you. Um, I, I sent her other teachers that she has this graphia, and I sent an article, a few articles about this graphia. We went to a meeting. They said they're going to provide her with a computer. She gets her report card yesterday, and one of the things is she still doesn't know when to capitalize. She, her handwriting is messy. That was just two days ago. And I'm thinking, we talked about this, and I sent you articles so you'll know what it is. She said she doesn't know anything about it, the other teacher. My point now, she is. She broke down on Friday and she said, I will ask you every single day to get me out of that class. I will cry. I will scream. I hate it. I mean, she broke down. She was she was saying that she absolutely hates it. And I'm stuck not knowing how much I can educate these teachers when I lack a lot of these skills. And I lack the organization, which, again, I get accused like the other parents that, you know, if I let go of something that, that I'm teaching her to be lazy, I'm I'm uh, enabling her, I'm doing this. Um, and if I was organized, she would have been organized. Uh, and Or get her out of that class, go to a regular math class and get her some extra assistance because they have another class that just help with homework and things like that. If she stays in this class, she's losing her self-confidence that she's feeling stupid, stupid, stupid. I put her in another class, she's not going to do probably as well, and she's going to feel stupid, stupid, stupid. Either way, I feel the most important for me is her self-confidence at this point. Education is very, very important, but if she loses self-confidence, she's losing everything, and I just don't know what to do.
0: Well, here's the good news about calling into the parents' panel. Mm -hmm. You get some advice from people who've been there, too, and I happen to know that both of our parents' panel members... Um, have been through similar things to what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, parents panel, you want to weigh in.
2: Um, well, I'm I'm wondering if your um, this is Kathy. I'm wondering if your um, child is on an IEP. Yeah. Mhm. They are.
3: Yeah. That's the one that she absolutely hates. <laughs>
0: And Kathy,
2: why'd you ask that? Well, for the reason I asked that is, um, without an IEP, it's very um, hard to get schools uh, to do anything. Um, and it, it, it's hard anyway. Um, but I, I think, um, from my own experience, I did a lot of research and passed along a lot of information. And it wasn't always well-received. Um, schools tend to... Um, they're, they tend not to like to be told what to do. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it, it's a challenging relationship for you to manage. Um, there's a, a wonderful website called Wright's Law that has some tips on, on managing that relationship. Um they helped that helped me a lot. It's Well,
0: I call that close because it doesn't sound it does not spell the way it sounds.
2: Okay, it's W R I G H uh T S L A W. It's rightslaw.com. Uh-huh. Okay. And um uh, Pete Wright, who is um who founded the website with his wife. Um, Give some wonderful information on how to make that relationship work better at school. Um, And I'm finding, actually, that Dr. Green's model, a lot of the language that he uses is very helpful when you're having school meetings. Um, So I'm trying to phrase things in terms of, I wonder if there's a way, or the problem I'm seeing here is, and inviting them to to collaborate in the solution it, um those are just some some tips but uh, it, it is a it's i think how you approach it matters quite a bit
0: Susie, you want to weigh in
1: um sure i just have to say um again that it's great that the caller has um found the website and found this program and is uh trying to address the problem i too i i found it incredibly difficult to deal with our school um i tried to find one person who was supportive um and sort of understood my child um I I continually had to provide an explanation to this person that 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 my child wasn't trying to be manipulative or spoiled or or um bratty that what what my child is exhibiting are some learning difficulties learning disabilities of sorts um in these areas of flexibility, adaptability, Mm problem-solving. And um, it's like a reading or a math problem. You have to understand and work with the child and uh, come up with a mutually satisfying solution. Um, I'm typically a shy person, and this taught me not to be shy, that you have to um be your child's advocate that the squeaky wheel does get the grease um i it was sort of a full-time job in and of itself i was in constant communication with this one particular person um a guidance counselor um and also just uh despite what other people are saying, truly listen to your child and trust trust what he's saying and uh trust your instincts.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you know one of them I think one of the issues that parents face sometimes that sometimes uh, in her previous school and even now in the morning she is just either exhausted or overwhelmed or mm-hmm. you know sometimes she'll just pray. she doesn't cry a lot but sometimes she'll just mama I'm so nervous mama I'm so scared why I don't know I don't know then I will just call the school and say she's gonna be late today and I go and I have a cup of tea with her in the morning and I'll bring her back she's okay by then but again the attacks that parents get like like I'm encouraging her not to care for school uh, what is wrong with her, there's nothing wrong with her she doesn't have a headache, she doesn't have a cold she doesn't have, mm-hmm. and, um, and I try to explain that, uh, I mean what a coincidence that that we adopt this little girl and she has exactly what I, I had, ADHD but not, was never diagnosed, but I remember I would get overwhelmed and scared for no reason, you know and I would just shut down and, but I, f- I feel like I feel with her but I get accused that I'm jeopardizing her, her school jeopardizing her future, jeopardizing you know, and um, and they say she takes advantage of me. And I, as much as I try, last year she got in trouble because she opens her mouth very quickly and she says things that she doesn't mean before thinking. And her age group, they're a little bit more sophisticated. And sometimes they, some of her friends were conniving that she would get in trouble. When I tried to explain to the principal and again sent articles and to her teacher that one of the issues that that she she doesn't she doesn't have the pause button in her head. Still, it's not developed so what she's saying is not out of being rude or trying to get in trouble or or you know it's just she she doesn't pause again uh you know they said no no she should know by now she's you know she's 10 she's 11 uh, and and like you said it's a full-time job i keep on looking for things i keep on sending things
1: i keep talking to them and you patiently have to just you know keep reiterating keep telling them that um she's not doing this on purpose if she had a reading problem you'd figure out the problem get her the help that she needs and work it out together Um, I I just wanted to also mention to you you had said that some problems this is reminiscent of some of the things that you had difficulties with growing up and I too shared that Um, I tried to look at it as a wonderful opportunity for me to try to solve some of these um difficulties that had been haunting me for for quite a long time and and it was a great opportunity for me to learn new skills mm-hmm. that I was trainable too
3: yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like I'm just spinning wheels the whole day and nothing gets done, you know, to be around the house, to be with my child. Well, that's
1: because you're right in the middle of it. You've you got to take a couple steps back and look at the big picture, Um mm-hmm. And and which is easier said than done when you're right in the middle of this.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I don't know which one of the moms that said that um, your son, I think, has very you know food sensitivities and and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and my daughter is the same uh, same thing. Sometimes I just drive down there and I'll take her something that I know she might eat. You know, the school is not far, but this is again you're spoiling her. You know, if you don't feed her, she'll get hungry and she'll eat something. <laughs> you know, you know uh, what
1: this this plan B is just a Different way of looking at your child, and you're trying to understand, and you're you're helping your child. You just have so let to let. me re-
0: weigh in. Let me weigh in briefly because we only have a, a, a half a minute left here, and I do want to thank the caller for calling in, and I hope we've been helpful. Uh, here's why I thought Kathy asked about the IEP, and that is that the creation of an IEP is supposed to be a collaborative process. And some school systems do that better than others. Some school systems collaborate with parents on the creation of an IEP better than others. But the kid, the person who often gets left out in that collaborative process is the kid. So an IEP is frequently a document that has a bunch of solutions in it that we never ask the kid about. Mm-hmm. That's a big problem with a lot of IEPs. I want to thank our parents' panel members, Kathy and Susie, for joining them today. I thought this was a wonderful program. I want to apologize to our caller from Area Code 207 for not getting to you today, but we will be back again next Monday doing this all over again, and I will have you go first next Monday. Um, Kathy, thank you. Susie, thank you.
1: Thank you, Dr. Green.
0: Thank Bye you. And, um, Bye, Kathy. Bye, Susie. And as I said, we'll be back next week doing it all over again, because that's what we do here at Lies in the Balance, and that's what this program is for.
2: Until then.